You're listening to the Sunday morning sermons from North Bullet Christian Church, located in Shepherdsville, Kentucky. If you have questions or would like to know more information on our church and or ways to connect, grow, and serve with us, email us at info at northbulletcc.org or come and gather with us on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. And with that, let's look at today's sermon. All right, Romans 8, 5 to 11, God's Word says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit of life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. There is no middle way in our relationship with God. There's no middle road. There's two pathways. Jesus himself taught, taught this way. He said, you can, uh, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for, for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is narrow and the road is difficult, and only a few will ever find it. Coming off the heels of the beautiful opening of chapter 8, uh, we looked at verses 1 to 4 last week, Paul now begins to differentiate between those who are on the wide and easy path, as Jesus would call it, and those who are on the narrow, life-giving path. I want you to notice a clear distinction of the kind of outside and inside language that Paul uses in this passage. Those who live according to their own selfish desires in rebellion to God's way, and those who follow the way of the Lord, which brings us to our main idea this morning. Our main idea is this, the heart, mind, and actions of a person convey or they show, they reveal their orientation in life, the way that they are heading, the way that they are living, the word we use for this would be the fruit of the person, right? What, what comes out of them? The fruit of our lives is the, is the evidence or proof that we have as followers of Jesus of our salvation. The passage says this in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, right? A clear uh, different difference there, different paths. Our heart and motives originate from within and are made known through our actions. If we think back to the ministry of Jesus, he was in constant conflict with uh, the religious leaders in particular, the, the Pharisees and the scribes. This is because he exposed their inner sin of pride, really, was at the root of their issue with Jesus. And it infected their selfish desire for, for power and recognition among the people. At one point, he calls them this. He says, you are whitewashed tombs. 
If you think about a, a tomb all painted white and shiny, but underneath what's in the ground? Dead bones, right? A dead body. On the outside, they had the appearance of holiness, but on the inside, they were spiritually dead. And so we should ask this question as we wrestle with these terms, flesh and spirit, flesh and spirit. Here's the question that we ask, two actually. What is life in the flesh? What is life in the flesh? A definition for you. Life in the flesh is characterized as being morally corrupt, rebellious, egocentric, fallen, and sin-dominated. I think actually the King James Version or the New King James Version uses a better word than just flesh here. It uses the word carnal. And I think carnal gets at what we're talking about, what Paul's talking about in the context of our passage this morning. I believe that that, that translation is helpful to differentiate between just flesh and bones and the clear aim of Paul's teaching aimed at exposing the, the internal desire and motives of this, our sin nature. Okay, We're carnal. When we are in our sin nature and doing what our sin nature desires only, we're being carnal. The reason that it's important to understand it is that Paul is not, he's not getting at bones and muscle and skin and flesh as we know it. He's using the term in a way that signals our minds and our hearts to understand that flesh in this particular context is negative. He's getting at a, a negative connotation here, which leads us to a second question. A second question this morning is this, what is life in the spirit? What is life in the spirit? A definition for you. Life in the Spirit is characterized as a desire to please God, but not only please God, but to please God through submitting and upholding His commands, right? Bearing good spiritual fruit. The motives and desires of a, of a person whose mind is in the Spirit aims to please God and uphold His ways. When Paul talks about flesh and spirit, he's not saying this. He's not saying that the material world is bad and the immaterial world is good, right? If we think about this in, in the spiritual realm alone, bad spirits, or we would call them demons, can also be, they can be envious and prideful and jealous in the spiritual realm, just as much as us human beings can be those things in the material realm, right? So it's not just material and immaterial that Paul is getting at here. He is using these terms to define the sinful motives and desires of the person who is not connected to God through the indwelling of the Spirit, through faith in Jesus. Thus, they are, we would say, in the flesh. They are in the flesh. He's differentiating that from the person who does have the Spirit of God through faith in Jesus, whose desires and motives have now been transformed by what Scripture would say is the renewing of their mind through the power of God's Spirit living in them. The main idea is that the heart, mind, and actions of a person reveal their orientation, where they're headed in life. Will we live solely for ourselves, or do we desire to live for God, to, to live a life that's pleasing to God? And so we're going to look at three things this morning. First, we're going to look at what the selfish life looks like. The selfish life first. That's the life of the flesh. What is the, what is the result of the selfish life, we're going to see in this first passage we're going to read, the results of the selfish life, and what are the, the distinctive characteristics of the self-centered, or we could say the me-focused life, right? It's all about me. What are, what are the results? What are the distinctive characteristics? We'll look at Romans 
8, 6, the beginning part of that verse, and then verses 7 and 8. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Okay, so there's the result. To set the mind on the, on the flesh is death. To be in the flesh is death. That's the result. Now we're going to look at characteristics. What are the characteristics? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. So that's the evidence, right? You have the characteristic that I'm, I'm, I'm against God's law and and. And I don't want to be, I don't want to submit to God's law. I don't want to be under God's law. Indeed, now Paul says this, it cannot, right? We could say this word, it had, there's a, a complete inability to uphold God's law. And then he closes out in this way. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The main characteristic of the person in the flesh, as we're looking at this morning, is an unfavorable disposition to, notice the way I say this, to the God of the Bible. I would venture to guess in our society, you'll go out and talk to people, and people are like, yeah, I believe in God. Notice I put here, to the God of the Bible, though. Because what, what people mean oftentimes when they say, yeah, I believe in God, is that they believe in their version of God. But they don't necessarily believe in the God of the Bible. And what his scriptures say about him, what his commands call us to be as the people of God. And this results in an, in an inability to be governed by the law of God. The scripture here emphasizes he cannot. It's, it's not just an inability, it's what I would call a, a radical inability to live under God's law, resulting in, we learn from the passage, resulting in death or we can say this, the judgment of God, right? This is bad news, isn't it? Resulting in the judgment of God, okay? God does judge people. That's what the scriptures teach. In Galatians, Paul gives us a more detailed list of the, of the marks of a person in the flesh. He says this in Galatians 5, 19 to 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, okay? They're not hidden, we know what they are. We're given a list. We, we would call this a vice list, a list of vices. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do you see the clear teachings of Scripture? The mind and the, and the works of the flesh are shown in the Scriptures, in the Bible, with a, with a clear teaching or, or warning of the result of, of such ways. Paul says back in Romans, death, right? The, the mind that is in the flesh leads to death or a lack of inheritance or participation in the kingdom of God, as he spells out in Galatians 5. The, the judgment of the Lord is on the person who is separated from him, from God, through sin, due ultimately to this, to the absence of Jesus' righteousness covering over them. Through faith, we are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. But the person in the flesh does not have this. Indeed, they, they cannot have the Spirit of God 
in them. That's what this passage teaches. And continue in habit, motive, and mindset in the ways of the flesh. So hopefully your mind's screaming out right now, okay, what does the opposite of this look like? What does a life look like that is pleasing to God? That brings us to our second point, the God-pleasing life. The God-pleasing life. What's awesome today is that each of you have, have chosen on this particular day with this particular weather to get up and put warm clothes on and gather together, together to worship Jesus, haven't you? You've chosen to do this. It would have been really easy this morning to stay in bed under the comfort of those covers, the blankets with the heater blazing, right? Some hot coffee and just stayed inside. But you braved the weather to come out. We've gathered today to worship God and to do this. When we gather to worship God, our aim is to orient or reorient the desires and motives of our heart toward His ways. That's why we gather. We gather to worship Him and to be transformed under the teaching of His Word. We have chosen to do that as the body of Christ today, to gather together, to bend our lives in His direction. And so what does it look like to please God? We'll look back into our passage again. Romans 8, the last part of 6 now, and then we're going to jump to to verses 9 and 10, which gets us into the good news of this morning. The passage says this, but to set the mind on the Spirit is, here's the result, is life, okay, not death, is life and what? Peace. Right? The, The mindset on the flesh is death, The mindset on God's ways is life and peace. Then he says this, Paul now is addressing Christians. So I want you to hear this. Christians, hear this. He says, you, right, Christian, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And here's the evidence. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Again, there's inside and outside language there. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, so that's that's the penalty of our original sin, the spirit is life because of what? Righteousness. Because of the righteousness of Jesus. The God-pleasing life is one marked with, with peace because we are living in the way the Lord intended us, right? When we're walking in God's ways, we naturally will have peace with the Lord. And he has intended us to be in relationship and union with him for his glory, not for ours. This is the result of the the Spirit of God living inside of you. You will experience, as the Scripture says here, life and peace. Moreover, the, the Spirit of God will lead us toward righteousness, towards righteous living. The Spirit of God does not lead you to sin. And I have to point that out because I've, I've sat with people in the past and say, I really feel like God's leading me to make this decision. And it's like, no, that's a horrible mistake. The Spirit of God does not lead you to sin or engage in sinful behavior. Rather, it, it, the Psalm 23 echoes in my mind as I read through this. He leads you beside still waters. Peace. He restores your soul. Life. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
We may be living in the midst of a world system that hates God, but we are at peace and comfort with the Lord's presence in us, which helps us to walk and live in the valley of the shadow of death. The God-pleasing life or spirit-filled life has these, though. It has distinctive marks or fruit, right? It's not just some emotional high that we have. It's evidenced in our life, in our actions. Again, we call this fruit or bearing spiritual fruit. Looking to to Galatians, it's a great parallel to the passage that we have. It gives us kind of a, a little bit more meat to what Paul is saying. Galatians 5, 22 to 25. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. I want you, I want to pause here because sometimes we think of these individually. Like, all right, I got love, check. I got joy, check. It's the fruit. It's a whole category together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What does that mean? We've put to death our old ways. In fact, God himself has put to death our old ways through the, through the power of his spirit in us. If we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Now, not desire for you and, and what happened to me as I was reading and preparing this message for you this morning is that God started confronting me in the ways that I fall short. It's time to confront our our minds and motives with the fruit of the Spirit. Is God reorienting your your sinful desires into fruitful, Spirit-filled, God-honoring inclinations and motives? Are you being transformed? This is the narrow way that Jesus spoke of. He, he didn't hide the difficulty of this way, the, the constant battle with our sinful flesh, right? Our, our flesh is at war with the Spirit of God that's within us. It's tough. Therefore, we must be, uh, as Paul says here, we must be in step with the Spirit of God. What does that mean? It means that we have to retrain the desires of our mind, soul, and body. That brings us to a point of application this morning. The God-pleasing life involves a retraining of the desires of our mind, soul, and body, right? In our flesh, we are oriented to be opposed to God, to be opposed to His commands and His law, His statutes, His will. We want to do things our way. I want to walk my way. We're in rebellion. And and so the God-pleasing life, when we place our faith confidence, trust in our Lord Jesus. We are filled with God's spirit. We are made into a new person. We're born again. And then begins the work of retraining, right? Putting to death our old ways and living in light of the life that Jesus has given to us. The God-pleasing life involves a retraining of of the desires of our mind, soul, and and body. It's remarkable to me when, when you see elite level athletes have just absolutely horrendous injuries. Okay, we have, we have our own elite level athlete in here. His name's Daryl DeVore. You guys met him. He had a horrendous injury a few months ago. He, he popped his Achilles. That's a tough injury. And Daryl, our own basketball star here, right here at North Bullet Christian Church, is making incredible 
progress. He texted me this last week, and he's like, I'm way ahead of schedule. The doctor is absolutely amazed, right? But, but Daryl's been determined. I know because I work with his wife every day, and she talks about how he's doing the things that he's probably not supposed to be doing, walking a little bit more than he's supposed to. But Daryl's way ahead of schedule. It's taken a lot to do that. I went over there the day after his surgery when he was laid up on the couch, kind of a little bit cuckoo because he had some pain meds in him. And then seeing the progression of Daryl from the scooter to the weird, he had this weird like peg leg thing. A lot of the kids, when he came in, they actually thought they had like amputated his leg off and they were scared of him. But it took a lot for Daryl to get to where he's at right now. It took training and retraining his body. Okay, it takes a lot for us to to grow. I don't want to make light of this hard work. Sometimes we focus so much on grace and mercy, and we should, but we should be battling and training and, and exercising ourselves to be our, for our lives to be oriented more and more to the ways that are pleasing to God. Do we ask that question? Am I living a life pleasing to God? We should ask that every single day. What are ways that we can do this spiritually now looking at our lives. It begins with this, with confession. We don't talk about this enough in church. It begins with confession of sin. Am I being honest about where I'm at and the things I struggle with? Which leads to this, repentance. I think sometimes we view repentance as that thing we did way back when, when I first became a Christian. I repented, you know, we say it that way. But repentance is an ongoing action in the Christian life. Every single day, wrestling with the ways that you fall short and saying, God, I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to turn to what? I'm going to turn to you. I'm going to turn to your cross. I'm going to look at Jesus. Confession and repentance lead us to reorient our lives to the ways of God, toward life in the Spirit. Uh, The Bible would say this, setting our minds, what? On things above. A few obvious ways that we can retrain our mind, soul, and body. So confession, repentance, we can retrain our mind, soul, and body by investing in knowing the commands of God and applying them in our lives. We can do that. We, you have a passage before you from Galatians chapter 5. This week, read those two lists, the, the list of what the flesh looks like and the list of the fruit of the Spirit and, and meditate on that and trust that to your heart and then pray to God, say, Lord, I want to walk in step with your Spirit. I want the, the fruit of the Spirit to be evident in my life. I I promise you, God's going to answer that prayer. He's not going to say no to you. He's going to answer that prayer. Pray that God will help you. Surround yourself with community, okay, that is willing to be honest with you. Surround yourself with a community of people, with friends and family that don't excuse sin. Or you hear this word a lot, affirm it. Okay, you don't need to be affirmed in your sin, You need to be rebuked. That's what the scripture says. And you need to be called to repentance to follow the way. How much do I have to hate somebody to not call them out for what they're doing? How much do you need to hate me to not, if you know something is going to kill me and you let me keep doing it over and over and over again? That's how serious this is. I would hope that you would love me enough to tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you need to stop doing that's going to kill you. Surround yourself with people that will call you to die to the flesh or your old desires and call you to walk in step with the Spirit. Do you have relationships with people who love you enough to call you out on 
your sin. Way back in the day, we, we quoted a man, uh, Oscar Wilde. He's not a Christian, but he said this, real friends stab you in the front, right? They're going to be face-to-face with you. They're just going to let you know, hey, this is where you're falling short. I love you. Let's work on this together. Lastly, remember that you are not alone in the transformation of your fleshly desires and motives. Okay, what's beautiful about this passage is it moves towards this conclusion. The, the spirit that raised Christ from the dead is with you, is in you. This is the importance. I believe every time we gather, every time we wake up and when we lie down, that we remind ourselves constantly of the gospel of Jesus. Because I believe that's the ultimate tool to retrain your mind, soul, and body. That we preach the gospel to ourselves, that we preach the gospel to our Christian friends, that we, we preach the gospel to the lost. You see, because we have, we have the tendency to view the gospel as that message that saves, it is. And then after we're saved, then we need to get to work. Right? I got all this work I need to do for God. But don't forget that Paul constantly preached the gospel to those who were already saved. The gospel-centered life is motivated by knowing the depth of God's love through the giving of his only begotten son. And as a result of being reminded of the gospel, we're not driven out of duty or guilt alone toward God, but by a desire to please God because of the indwelling power of his spirit. Do you remind yourself every day, by faith I have the spirit of God living in me? We are living in light of the reminder when we, when we think about the gospel, the reminder that God so loved us that he sent his son in the flesh to live the way in which we had no ability or desire to live. Jesus lived perfectly. Jesus came to die the death that we deserve on a cross. And Jesus was put into the grave. And Jesus on the third day was raised to new life again, overcoming the penalty of sin and death. And he gives us this. He has secured for us eternity with our living God. And he's gifted to us the power of God's spirit within us. That's what Paul gets at in the conclusion of this section. It brings us to point three. The God-pleasing life is rooted in the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit. You have resurrection power in you. That's why Paul could say you have life and peace. Right? The cross is so important. We always have to have the cross and the grave or the tomb in the background of our mind because in it we see the victory of Christ when he was raised bloody on that cross, when he was crowned with thorns, when the placard was placed and said, King of the Jews. We see in it the victory of Christ inaugurated, but in his resurrection, the glory of Christ is complete. The body of our Savior could not be held in the grave forever. For he's alive. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. Verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead 
dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Right? Paul's not talking about flesh here anymore. Through his spirit who dwells in you. Notice how many times Paul says dwells, right? He's in you, he's in you, he's in you. This is good news. We understand from this, from this biblical teaching that the Lord has not left us to our, to our own devices and human wisdom to just figure out the way. Rather, we've been empowered by God's Spirit. Moreover, we're, we're witness, we witness the overarching purpose of God in, filling, in the filling of believers with the Spirit. This is what this means. God has chosen to dwell with His people. God has chosen to dwell with his people. And in the Bible, wherever God dwells with his people, we call this a temple. A place where God dwells with his people. In the Garden of Eden, God was with Adam and Eve. Right? Before they sinned. And even when they sinned, what did God do? God came pursuing and calling to them. He was with them. After the exodus... God instructed the Israelites to to construct a tent or a tabernacle so that his presence may dwell with his people. He called Solomon to construct a temple so that he could dwell with the nation of his people. In Jesus, God took on a human body so that he could be with his people. And by faith, we are filled with God's indwelling presence, his spirit. God is living in us. That's amazing. Second Corinthians 3, 4 to 6 shares the importance of this filling. Our filling up. It says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. I've got to pause there. Notice that word that it says. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. We no longer cower from the presence of the holiness of God, we now have confidence to approach God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, right? It's not because of us. But our sufficiency is from God himself, right? Who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, here it is, but the Spirit gives life. We've been filled with the Spirit of God that we can have confidence through Christ toward God. Reconciled to Him. One last point of application for you. We learn this, the indwelling presence of God reminds us that God is always with us and desires for us life that is truly life. God is always with us. God wants you to live a life that is meaningful and abundant. Sometimes we we can view God as like this angry father up in heaven just waiting to, you know, pull the belt off and let you have it. That's not God. God is... He wants us to experience all that he intended 
for us from the beginning, to glorify him, to enjoy him, to live in his presence, to have peace and joy and patience and kindness. God's not a a cosmic killjoy. He wants you to experience life that is truly life. I think parents can really relate to this point, can't you? We want what is best for our children, and at times this is done through teaching our kids to abstain or keep from actions that may harm them in the long run, right? Hey, if you keep doing that, that's not going to be healthy for you. The Lord desires for for us to, to live life that is truly life, resulting in peace and joy as our, as our motives, desires, and actions are transformed more and more into the ways of Jesus as we begin to look more like Jesus. In this, we find, I believe, an incredible joy that we didn't know we could have when we were in the flesh. When God grows us in holiness and righteousness, it is not just deducting from our lives the desires of the flesh, but adding to our lives these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and what? Self-control. Remember that, that in Christ, God is always with you. Did you hear me? God is always with you. God is for you. And his will is ultimately what is best for you. I think some of us struggle with this teaching that God is for you. You may view your life like, I'm just one disappointment after another. No, God is a good and loving father. And and through Jesus, we're clothed in the righteousness of, of Jesus. God looks upon you and he loves you as his child. Take hold of that truth that God is for you. He loves you. And his will is ultimately what is best for you. And this can be, going back to the the teachings of Jesus where he's talking about the two paths, this can be at times a long, narrow, and difficult road, can't it? But I tell you, it's worth it. It's why Jesus could make this claim in in John 10.10. He says this, the the thief, okay, the enemy of God, the counterfeit, Satan, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says this, he says, I came that they, that you, those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have the spirit of the living God living in them, I came that they may have life and have it, what? Abundantly. All right, full. Life that's truly Life. Jesus came to give us life that is truly life. The counterfeit, Satan, seeks to lure you from, from the way of life into the way of death. It's what he did to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's what he always does. The way of death can feel good and right at times, but, but carnal desires ultimately lead to death and destruction. In the resurrection of Jesus, we understand that, that the path of God is this. It's victorious, it's glorious, and it's life-giving. And God wants you on that path with him. And so I want to call to you today, friends, I call you today to, to orient, to reorient your life toward or in the ways of the Lord, seeking his kingdom above your own desires to do this, to live in the power of the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Amen.